apartments could be found. Old Mrs. Hatter could give no reason for her husband's disappearance. The Missing Persons Bureau offered the theory that Hatter had been kidnapped and was being held for ransom. This was effectually disproved when no word was received by the old man's wealthy family from the hypothetical abductors. Other theories were offered by the newspapers. He had been murdered, said one. Anything was possible where the Hatters were concerned. The family denied this stubbornly. York Hatter had been an inoffensive little man, a quiet creature with few friends and, so far as could be discovered, no enemies. Another paper, perhaps on the strength of the curious and hectic history of the Hatter tribe, ventured the opinion that he had simply run away. Away from his iron-jawed wife, his eccentric and trying children, his nerve-shattering household. This theory, too, went begging when the police pointed out that his personal bank account had been left untouched. It was from this fact, also, that the desperate surmise of a mysterious woman in the case died a borning. And old Emily Hatter, furious at the suggestion, snapped that her husband was sixty-seven years old, hardly the time of life when a man leaves home, family, and fortune, in pursuit of the amorous will-of-wisp. Throughout the five weeks of unremitting search, the police had held to one theory. Suicide. And for once, it appeared the police were right. Inspector Thumb of the New York City Police Department, Homicide Squad, was fitting chaplain to York Hatter's rude funerary rites. He was big and ugly in everything. A hard gargoyle face, broken nose, smashed ears, big hands and feet on a big body. You would have supposed he was an old-time heavyweight prize fighter. His knuckles were gnarled and broken from solid blows on crime. His head was gray and red. Gray hair, slate eyes, sandstone face. He gave you the feeling of substance and dependability. He had a brain in his head. He was, as policemen go, forthright and honest. He had grown old in an all but hopeless fight. This, now, was different. A disappearance, an unsuccessful search, the discovery of the fish-nibbled corpse, and plentiful hints to identification. All open and above board. But there had been talk of murder, and it was his duty, the inspector felt, to settle the question for all time. Dr. Schilling, the medical examiner of New York County, motioned to an assistant, and the nude body was lifted from the autopsy table and restored to the wheel table. Schilling's short, fat, Teuton body made obeisance before a marble sink. He washed his hands, disinfected them, wiped them thoroughly. When his fat little paws were dried to his satisfaction, he produced a much-bitten ivory toothpick and began thoughtfully to explore his teeth. The inspector sighed. The job was done. When Dr. Schilling began to grope for cavities, the time had come for talk. They walked together behind the wheel table to the corpse depository of the morgue. Neither said a word. Your catter's body was dumped on a slab. The assistant turned inquiringly. Into the niche? Dr. Schilling shook his head. 
Well, Doc, the medical examiner put away his toothpick. Plain case, Thumb. The man died almost immediately after striking the water. Lungs show that. You mean he drowned right away? Nine. He did not drown. He died of poisoning. Inspector Thumb scowled at the slab. Then it was murder, Doc. And we were wrong. The note might have been a plant. Dr. Schilling's little eyes gleamed behind old-fashioned gold-rimmed spectacles. His dinky gray cloth hat stood in a grotesque peak on his bald head. Thumb, you're ingenious. Poisoning is not necessarily murder. Yeah, there are traces of prussic acid in his system. That lad. I say this man.